Good evening. It is good to be together. If you're a guest, uh, we're glad that you're here. Thank you for being with us. If you would be opening your Bible to James, the fifth chapter, we're going to continue looking at the very same paragraph in James, the fifth chapter. What a day it's been. We're thankful for the five that have responded this morning and, and what a, a pleasure it is to uh, see Emmy Trawick baptized into Christ and to be able to pray with four other ones. Uh, we're also... Uh, a lot of mixed emotions as we announced that Elias and Christy uh, will be moving in a few weeks. We love them dearly and we're thankful for the work that uh, we know that they'll do a great work in Memphis. And uh, I want to encourage you to pray for them. And we're also thankful for uh, the part of our congregation that worships and studies in Bible classes each week speaking Spanish. And I want to encourage you to be praying for them. Uh, right now, their plan is continue to rotate some of the men into that role, and we're thankful that they're going to be able to do that, and let's be sure and be involved in prayers and in every way we can to encourage every soul in this congregation. We are thankful that uh, close to 50 of our individuals, a lot of them were high schoolers, were at Evangelism University this uh, weekend. It was a great weekend, all weekend long, studying just lesson after lesson, class after class. I, I, I think some of you adults would probably be surprised at how much time that our youth, when they go to Evangelism University, how much time they spend in lessons and in Bible studies. But it really is a jammed, packed weekend from the time they step off the bus to the time they get on, where it's just either a keynote of preaching or it's some kind of lesson in a Bible class atmosphere about how to reach uh, souls for Jesus Christ. And it's a powerful weekend. And we're thankful that our kids have that kind of heart and that kind of interest, that that's what they want to be a part of. And we love and appreciate them dearly. And our hope and our prayer is that all of us are excited about being able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone. I want to encourage you to be praying for someone and be inviting them and be praying about how you could follow up to make a difference in their soul. What a difference that could make. I'd like for us to begin tonight by going back and just rereading the paragraph. And as we read it, I would like to make just some brief comments that if you were here this morning, those comments will just remind you of where we were in that. And then especially go back into this very same text and give consideration to what uh, it would look like studying this text, especially with an emphasis on conflict. We're in James, the fifth chapter. We're going to pick up reading at verse seven. And he says, therefore, be patient, brethren. And that, that word patient there has to do with long spirited. In other words, I know what direction I'm going and I'm going to stay there and I'm willing to suffer long. No matter what comes, I'm going to stay in that direction and in that path. How long? Until the coming of the Lord. And here's an example. See how the farmer waits. And that word waits right there just has to do with I am looking with expectation. I'm doing what I'm doing because I expect something in the future. You see, we trust God keeps his promises every time. And so we wait expecting God to keep his promises. The farmer waits for the precious fruit. That's that great reward of the earth waiting patiently through the long suffering for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You 
Also be patient, long-spirited, long-suffering. Establish your hearts. And the word establish has to do with settle in, be strong, do not be swayed. And so establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, what happens sometimes when we're feeling like that we're in conflict, we're feeling like things aren't going exactly right? Is it easy to complain? Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Well, who would condemn us? Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Exclamation mark. My brethren, here's a second example. When the farmer was first, verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Now here's a second example. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Well, what is the end that the Lord wants us to see about the story of Job? that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. What a powerful, powerful paragraph that James lays out for us to study. A paragraph that is over and over pleading with us, keep the end in mind. The Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. The judge is at the door. And, and so why is that being taught? Because we're gonna go through difficult times. Are you gonna be willing to wait? Are you gonna be willing to persevere? Are you gonna be willing to endure? Are you gonna be able to patiently wait? Those are all the terms that are used over and over here. And, and so then we say, well, what can I learn from this? And he says, wait, I have more for you. I wanna give you three examples of, of either a, a position or an individual or, or a group of people that they did this and it all was from different angles. And he says, I want to talk to you about the farmer. I want to talk to you about the prophets. And I want to talk to you about Job. And there's tremendous lessons that all of us can learn about conflict as it deals in those three individuals, especially as it's placed in this powerful teaching here. Let's think for just a moment about conflict. Why is it that you and I hate conflict so much? What is it about our being that if we perceive that there's an area of pain or conflict that we just kind of by nature, we recall from it and we honestly, if we're not careful, this is where we think fleshly and spiritually, we think to ourselves, this is horrible. I've got to put an end to this. This, this. this has to get out of my life. Does it? Or could it be that some conflict is good? Could it be that there's some valuable lessons to learn in pain? Could it be that our priorities could be clarified? Could it be that we could be more focused, even stronger, because of times of pain in our life? Helen Keller, at 19 months of age, had some kind of sickness that today it's believed that it might have been scarlet fever or meningitis. But you know the rest of that story. That beautiful little 19-month-old little girl, after that sickness, was left trapped in a body, blind and deaf, for a while unable to communicate. And yet through a lot of conflict, and a lot of difficult days and help from others, 
She was able to become a woman that had influence in politics. She became uh, an author. She became known around the world. This woman that in some senses that we would say she's far below average became a person that was far above average in her influence. And I'd like for you to pause for a minute and I'd like for you to honestly say, can you say this to yourself and can you believe it? What helped her achieve what she finally became in life? Can you admit to yourself it was because of the conflict that she went through that she became this strong and powerful influence? I'm not saying it's right because she said it. But listen, if she went through what she went through, it might be worth it to listen to how she says something that we know from studying the word of God, it's true. Look at that quote. And she says, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trials and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. What do you do when conflict comes into your life? What will you achieve or will it achieve and conquer you? This is not where we're going in this lesson, but I couldn't help but just give you a couple of illustrations in the scriptures. And so we're going to touch on these quickly. I want you to see, and we could go to many of these. I just narrowed it down to two till we get back to James. I want you to see two different times that Paul talked about severe conflict in his life. And I want you to notice what he said about it. Let's jump over real quick to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 2 Corinthians, 12th chapter. Remember when he had that thorn in his side and he begged God three times in prayer to remove it. And finally, God realized because before that there was the man that apparently was, was him that got to see up in the third heavens. And, and what God was telling him was, listen, if you do not have something to humble you in your life, you're going to lose your own soul. And so literally God was helping him understand the conflict that you're going through has to do with you being able to go to heaven. Isn't that powerful? So why is it sometimes we go through things? Sometimes God lets us go through things because God knows this is what they're going to need to be sharp, to be humble, to be focused. And this is the way Paul said if we want to just read one verse, verse 10, therefore, this is his summary after hearing all this from God. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress. For Christ's sake, when I am weak, then I am strong. He realized that even though he found himself in this moment of conflict, it was more than a moment, a period of time in his life of conflict. And he says, I, and his, his flesh is saying, I could be stronger, I could do more. And God has a word with him and helps him see what the truth is. I'm limiting you so that you'll be humble. But if you'll realize in your weakness, I'll put my strength and in a partnership, we'll do more than what you ever could do. Isn't that amazing how sometimes conflict drives us closer to God and as we are closer to God, we can accomplish greater things? Let's look at the second way that he refers to conflict. Let's go to Philippians, the first chapter. Philippians, the first chapter. We're gonna read a few verses here. This is where Paul is writing and, and he is in prison and his being in prison has been a great discouragement 
to some individuals, but Paul continually wrote to them to try to help them see they don't need to be discouraged and they don't need to lose faith because of this time in their life. And so this is how Paul explains it in Philippians 1, beginning of verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me. Isn't that an interesting way to describe it? Just think if he elaborated on that. Paul, what do you mean? He could talk about all of the persecution they had. But here he is in prison. So he says, the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And this book, the next to the last verse, he closes sending out greetings. And one of the greetings, he says, and especially from the household of Caesar. Paul says, do you realize you've been feeling bad because I've been in prison? And I'm telling you, great things have happened for you, Paul? No, not for me. I'm in prison. Great things have happened, though, for the preaching of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. People are being brought to the Lord in powerful positions and in places we would have never been able to reach them except I'm in prison. Paul literally, two different places, he looks at conflict and he says, I'm thankful. God will take my weakness that I'm experiencing now and he'll make me stronger. I'm thankful. The kingdom itself is stronger. And if I have to go through this for the kingdom to be stronger, God's will be done. Wow. Conflict. Now go back now in James and I want you to think about those, that period of time until the Lord comes again and we're going to be long spirited. We're going to be long suffering and how are we going to look at those times? Are we going to get down and are we going to get distracted and we're going to start saying and doing things that a Christian just ought not do? Are we going to do things and say things that will hurt the kingdom's sake? Or are we going to go through the suffering in such a way that the gospel prospers? that the kingdom prospers and that our own life prospers because we've gone through this difficult time in a partnership with God. Let's go back to James 5 and I'd like for you to look quickly at the farmer and say quickly because we looked at him in depth this morning. But let's think about this for a moment just as a reminder. James 5 and 7, let's consider the farmer. What kind of conflict did he have? See how uh, the second sentence in verse 7 where he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. What is this? What is this conflict he's going through? You ever feel conflicted whenever you're not in control? Think about the farmer. He can put the seed in the ground. He can't make it rain. He can't make the sun shine. He cannot make it grow. There are a lot of things where the, where the farmer is in direct partnership with God every day of his life. And so he has to wait. He has to wait patiently, long-suffering. Because you know what happens some years? Some years the crop floods. And his payday is once every two years, those years. Patiently waiting. What do you do in the times where you feel like God is not on your timetable? How quickly are you distracted from faithfulness when you feel like God should have moved last year and he still hasn't moved yet? 
What is it when we think that someone in our life ought to have done something by now? We think there ought to be some kind of reaction different by now. We think that some way God ought to have opened a door by now. One of you this morning after the lesson said, you know, when I studied about the farmer, it helped me a whole lot read Psalm 40. I want you to turn over real quick. I don't have a slide for that, but I want us to read one, two, and three. And as we read this, I just want you to think about the farmer and what it meant for him to wait. And that, and, and that doesn't mean, remember, as we talked about this morning, he wasn't sitting doing nothing. He was working hard every day, waiting, having expectation of that crop that was going to come. And for us, it's the coming of the Lord is that great harvest. And so Psalm 40, listen to this difficult time that, that David was in. And he wrote this Psalm about it. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined me and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay. Now notice what he did. And set my feet up on a rock and established my steps. Now pause there for a moment. You see how similar this language is? We're gonna read one more verse, but just think back with me at James 5. How many times he said, wait and wait patiently upon the Lord. And how he said in James, establish your heart. And here he's saying, I was down in the pits. I was in conflict. My feet were miring in clay. I was wondering, God, God, where are you? And he says, I just kept waiting. I kept waiting. In other words, I didn't stray from God. I didn't turn my back from God. At the times I couldn't understand it, I continued to move toward him. At the times I wanted it to be different today, I continued to move toward him. And he says, the Lord helped me establish, set firmly in place to be strong. And notice the result here in three. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear it and will trust in the Lord. Is there anybody today that knows about the horrible, difficult time that you've gone through and you went through it so faithfully that now they see the song in your mouth and they hear the praise that you give God and the result is they now trust God because of your example. That's what he was saying right here. Brethren, one of the most powerful sermons you and I will ever preach is what we do in times of conflict. There is nobody that goes through conflict the way faithful Christians go through conflict. He says, I want us to learn a lesson from the farmer. There's a lot of waiting where we can't fully explain everything and we don't get it on our timetable. Will you wait? Let's see a second example of conflict. Very different, but a second example of conflict. James 5 and verse 10. James 5 and verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets. See, he's just throwing out examples. Take this one, for example. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Pause there. That's good, isn't it? They were going out and doing what God asked them to do. That's all they were doing, what God asked them to do. And notice the result. As an example of suffering and patience. You're kidding me. You mean we go out and we do the right thing and God is going to let us suffer? Listen, the question of pain and suffering has been some, the question that has plagued man and philosophers since almost the beginning of time. You read any of, of, of elements of philosophy and that one always creeps up. 
the question of pain and suffering. You want to add another element to that? Why is it that good people go through such pain and suffering? Why is it that good people that are righteous, they're chosen prophets of God, and all they're doing is exactly what God asked them to do? And yet, they went through horrific persecution. Many of them killed. Let's just take one example and just mention a few things. Think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was chosen from the womb and he was told, I'm never going to let you marry. He had to go through life alone. And when you read his writings, real quick out of the gate, he's told at the end of the first chapter by God, the king's going to be against you. The nation's going to be against you. In other words, everybody's going to be against what you say and do. As a matter of fact, he reached a point about 20 chapters into the book where he was so tired of being alone and he was so tired of being beat up because he was doing the right thing. He finally says, I'm not speaking it anymore. And then he said, but there was a fire in my bones and I couldn't keep it shut up anymore and I had to speak it. He had established his steps so firmly toward God that even in the time of difficulty when he thought, I'm going to give up, he ended up saying, I can't give up. What a heart. What a commitment. And what about you? How many times do we think that we have the right to be treated right because we've done right? And then when someone mistreats us, even though we've done right, we think we have the right to say whatever we want to say, to react however we want to react, to put them in their place. What about instead we learn from the example of the prophets? Do you remember that other book in the Bible that Jeremiah wrote? How would you like it if you were remembered for writing a book Jeremiah, and the other book that you were remembered for writing, Lamentations, a funeral dirge, a song of deep grief. When Stephen was being stoned, right before that, he said, talking to the Jews, he said, which one of the prophets has your fathers not persecuted? And he said, the ones that foretold of Jesus, your fathers killed. And then the one Jesus came to this earth and you killed him. And he calls them betrayers and murderers. And what did they do? They released their venom upon him and they killed him. Do you see what James is saying here? Listen, James isn't just making up hypothetical things. James is saying, here's what God expects. God expects the same kind of faithfulness in times of conflict that the prophets were wonderful examples to us in. Let's look at a third example, the example of Job. In James, the fifth chapter and verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. And then he gives this example. You have heard the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, you know that we could have a series that would be a 
quarter long or a year long just studying through the book of Job. But let's just think real quickly. What is he talking about when he talks about the endurance of Job? You remember in Job, the first chapter, the first couple of verses were introduced to Job. He was the wealthiest man of all the East. He was a man that was upright. He was a man that behaved himself righteously in every way. As a matter of fact, we go just a few verses into Job and you know what we find? We find that while his children are all getting together and enjoy the feast, early in the morning, you know where you find Job? Early in the morning, he's gone out and he's making sacrifice on behalf of every one of his children lest they've sinned. Listen, when we talk about how did Job do it? In one day, because of a bargain that Satan made with God, let me touch his stuff. No man serves you unless there's a reason. You've put a hedge about him. You've made him rich. Let me touch his stuff. And that kind of conflict, he'll turn his back on you. And so God said, you can touch his stuff. You just can't touch him. And did Satan touch all that he had? You better believe he did. All of those, all of those 3,000 camels. Think how many camels that is. Think what kind of wealth that is. 7,000 sheep, 500 oxen, Yokes of oxen, 500 donkeys, and one day, servant after servant after servant after servant, four of them come up to give him messages, and what he finds out is all of his possessions are either stolen or burned up. And his 10 children were in a house together, and a storm has collapsed that house, and all 10 of them are dead, and he would not curse God. Instead, he worshiped God. And Satan says, oh, skin for skin, you let me touch him and he'll turn his back on you. And God says, you can touch him, but don't kill him. And he puts horrible bowls on him and he sits in, in ashes, taking broken pottery, scraping himself. And his poor wife, she's had 10 children to die. And now she looks at her husband that is pathetic and they've lost all of their possessions and she can't stand it any longer. She says, curse God and die. He says, you're speaking as a foolish woman. And he remained faithful. And you look at that kind of endurance and what you see is at the end of the book, God comes back and graciously restores to him many times more than all of the original except for the kids, which that was interesting. I guess 10's enough. And, and when, we think about, when we think about perseverance, you think about going through losses and you think about Job. And you know, you think how horrible that story is? I'll be honest with you. Now, it has a deeper meaning that my fifth grade teacher told me all the time. You would ruin the patience of Job. I, I thought that was kind of funny then. I take it as a pretty bad... She was slamming me pretty bad. And... And so I, I want you to think though for a minute as, as we look to this next slide, I'd like for you to see these three areas of conflict that James went through. And let's start wrapping this up. I mean, think about it. James said, are you like the farmer? Can you wait when you don't know why you're waiting? How are you raising your kids? Do your kids get what they cry for? Do your kids ever have to save their money for anything before they can buy it? Do your kids sometimes want something really bad and you just say, no, you're not getting it, period. You see, in America, we too often are all about, if I really love my kid, 
I want to take all of the conflict out of their life. And then that really messes us up to be Christians because God really loves us. And God says, I love you enough. I'm going to give you what you need and not what you want. And what you need is a lot of conflict. You need a lot of no's. You need a lot of wait till later. What about the next one? Are we comfortable serving a God who says, I'm going to let you do everything I ask for you to do. And then I'm going to let you be punished because of it. That's the God you serve. Are you comfortable with it? Because you need to answer that now in your mind because it's going to happen and you're either going to leave him later or you can leave him now. That is the God you serve. He loves you enough to make you strong enough. He's not going to have wimps. He's not going to have people that are casual. He's not going to have people that say, oh, I would, I would love to be prepared and live for an eternity with the Lord for the second coming. But I tell you what, if he doesn't give me everything I want, right when I want it, and if he doesn't run down to the principal's office and tell him off, and if the coach doesn't put me in, if he doesn't tell the coach off, if God doesn't, doesn't take all of my conflict out, I'm not serving him. And God says, I'll give you exactly what you need. And what you need is you need to do some things right and get punished for it. Because it'll really test why you're doing it. Are you doing what you're doing because everybody around you is slapping you on the back and say, way to go? What if what you're doing is the right thing and people around you are saying, I'm going to punish you because you're doing right. Which one is it? Are you only doing it because people like it or are you doing it because you are that committed to God? The prophets knew who they were committed to. They took some difficult times. And they didn't continue because the people around them were saying, that a boy. They continued because they had a commitment to their God. And Job... What about the losses? I don't know anybody here that's done this, so if I step on your toes, when the kid's poodle dies and you run to the pet store to buy one that looks just like it, maybe they won't notice you're raising a weakling. When your kids don't go to funerals, you're messing them up. When your idea is, I'm not going to let my child experience any loss, what world do you live in? Listen, there are times where comfort has to be shattered. Dreams have to be broken. There are times that we have to be brought to our knees in grief to figure out who our God is. And I beg you as parents, let's raise kids that are strong. Let's raise kids that are focused. Let's raise kids that are used to being told no. They are comfortable with saying, I'll wait, and I don't really understand why. Kids that can experience loss in their life and their attitude and their faith isn't shattered. But we have to begin with us as adults. What is our relationship with God? I'm not saying conflict is easy, but I'm saying that if conflict gets us off our course with God, we don't really have the faith God's asking us to have. And that's all James is trying to do in these four, five, six verses right here. It's just the same thing over and over and over. It's about are you living in view of the coming of the Lord? Are you going to be willing to persevere? 
Can you be different than the people around you and keep your eyes on the Lord? When the people around you are bringing pain in your life, can you persevere? When there are tremendous losses in your life that you can't explain and you can honestly say, it's not fair. Okay, so it's not fair. Will you still keep your eyes on the Lord? Satan has a toolbox and he pulls out all kinds of tools to use against us. And the one that he loves is the one of conflict. Let me make them suffer and they'll turn their back on you, God. And by your life, can you answer? No, I won't. I will not turn my back on God. In that passage we just read, he said those people are blessed. It's a deep inner peace and strength that is powerful. None of us get there because it's easy. And even in the midst of it, I don't think it ever feels completely easy. But every day, we live in view of eternity, focused upon our Lord, and thankful for the strength that He gives us to persevere. We're part of a cause that's more important than us individually. And we honor the cause even more than we honor our life. Tonight, is there anything that we can do to help each other have that kind of conviction toward God? If you're ready to become a child of God and be baptized into His Son, if you need prayers of strength and encouragement, we've all been there. And if tonight, this is your night, we want to pray with you and we want to pray for you. If you need to repent and confess sin, what can we do to help you? I don't say this callously, but do you realize tonight if you're off course, the conflict in your life that's gotten you there is not a reason. It's an excuse. And tonight, let's brush excuses aside and let's join forces with our God again and let's make sure that we are His faithful children. If we can help you come.